up in the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime superhero fan, lifetime Halloween fan. And this is the podcast exclusively about animation that sprang from the world of comic books. Thank you for joining us for another spooky episode. That's right, we're in the month of October. We're doing all Halloween episodes this month. Let me briefly explain the rules of our podcast. Number one, we're talking comic book animation. I just said that. Pay attention. Number two, much like the old comic books, DC Comics Presents, Marvel Team Up, Marvel 2-in-1, Brave and the Bold, I'm always teaming up with a special guest who's going to help me tackle the world of comic book animation. And number three, we got to have fun. Thanks for joining us for episode 25. And we're going to get right into it. I'm going to bring my guests. Welcome to the multiverse for a special bone-chilling episode. My pal, Mikey Webb. How are we doing tonight? Mikey Webb, uh, your brave soul, daring to come to the Halloween episode. Well, I love Halloween. It's probably my favorite holiday. My uncle used to work at Spooky World growing up, bringing me to terrifying uh, haunted attractions for my entire life we have special rules in the web household where if it's not halloween related during the month of october it's not on the television screen so i was really excited to join this episode on that note do you still go to haunted houses even uh as a uh not quite a younger man or is it still a uh, a teenage uh, game i love a good haunted house uh, a few years back i went to factory of terror Unfortunately, the only ones in Fall River for this year, they're not returning to Worcester until next year. So I've got to find another haunted house. But a, a good haunted house is always a great time. Welcome to episode. This is kind of a special. It's a landmark episode 25. Oh, nice. Anniversary type episode. I like those numbers. Pretty exciting. Before we get any further, I just want to put a disclaimer. I am not an expert, nor do I claim my guest to be. We're just two people that like talking comic books. And also, there will be spoilers. So for this week, we're breaking through the cobwebs. We're going through the witch's brew. And we are talking Blade. For those of you who don't know Blade, we're going to go into a little background. Yes, he was a movie character, but he was also a comic character before then. Blade was created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan back in 1973. First appeared in Tomb of Dracula. Number 10, and uh, one not the first, but very early on, one of the first African-American Marvel superheroes as well, if you would call him. Would you call him a superhero? Yeah, he's like that anti-hero, right? Yeah, I guess you could call him that. In case you're wondering if uh, 
<laughs> you shouldn't be, but <laughs> the reason he's Halloween episode because he fights the undead. The vampires, he fights them all. Those bloodsuckers, he takes them out. Obviously, he first appeared in Tomb of Dracula. Also, he really is responsible. Well, I don't know if he's responsible, but the current culture of superhero mania and entertainment wouldn't have happened if not for Blade. Yeah, I heard that argument recently the other day. Is it Blade or is it X-Men? Like, which one of those kind of kicked off this new superhero like fervor where did it really start and i have to think back going back to blade blade was one of those movies that pulled me into comics and like one of my earlier comic book memories so it is it's a good debate well i think he proved uh, that marvel and not just marvel characters but characters in general from comic books could carry franchises and they didn't have to be superman and batman the well-known ones and once he was successful, especially the first one, obviously there were sequels, which we're going to get into a little bit, but that's when the Marvel properties started getting more bought up, optioned, and turned into films. He also had a big influence on the just the action films in general of the late 90s, early 2000s. I would argue films like Underworld and The Matrix never would have seen the light of day without Blade. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you can see a lot of carryover between the two films, you know, because films kind of go in this this series right it was like the mid 90s when you're looking at films like everything was a disaster film and these late 90s action films and this quasi action horror starts kind of kicking into gear there and it was a pretty great time plus he really made long leather coats fashionable in action movies as well have they ever not been fashion like long leather dusters come on probably not but they really became prominent that year and if you didn't know if you haven't seen the films wesley snipes Played Blade in all three films. Now, like I said, uh, Marv Wolfman and Gene Cohen, the comic legends, created him back in 1973. He was quite different back then. He wasn't actually a daywalker when he was originally created. He was just immune to vampire bites. He could not be turned into a vampire. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that. No, and that's um, knowing what I had of known of blade for so long that really fundamentally changes the character you know just between being immune versus you know having this huge advantage in the 70s for anyone a lot younger even younger than me the 70s a lot of marvel and dc marvel especially went through a big experimental phase where they had 10 good years of successful superheroes but it was kind of wearing thin, so they, they did a lot of experimental things with a lot of horror-related comic books like Tomb of Dracula, The Man-Thing, Brother Voodoo. So he was popular for a long time until the 80s where that all those 70s characters and comics of Marvel were starting to die out. Power Man, Iron Fist, Master of Kung Fu, Tomb of Dracula, Man-Thing. And he was kind of dormant for quite a while, long time after that, not making many appearances until... I think it was 1996 when uh, they released that film. And it was New Line Cinemas. David Goyer, who was a comic writer, wrote the screenplay. He said that, uh, I don't know if this is true. He claims New Line Cinema originally wanted the Blade movie to be a spoof. Really? (laughs) Spoof of what? I'm not really sure exactly. There's nothing I can think of at that time that would have jumped out and be like, we're going to make a spoof of this particular film that felt the Blade. Yeah, it wasn't like vampire films were all that big at the time. It wasn't like superhero films were all that big at the time. So I'm not sure what it would be a spoof of. 
my only guess is that New Line Cinema at that time, they were the only ones that were popping out all the horror movies at that time. You know, and it's Bloomhouse now, but back then New Line Cinema was Scream, New Line Cinema was Scary Movie, wasn't it? All those type of movies were New Line, I think, at the time. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street was uh, New Line Cinema's. Uh, eventually, I think they would get the rights to Friday the 13th for a short period. They they ended up backing up Lord of the Rings later on, but that was obviously years after that. And David Goyer claims he convinced them to take him in a more serious direction, which you got to give him credit no matter who made the decision because it wasn't like, yeah, the Batman films were popular at the time, but they had already had a couple of those. It wasn't like superhero properties were like guaranteed to make money. So it was a risk that paid off. And he even claims that some of the studio executives wanted to cast a white actor to play Blade. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. And that's even happening in, you know, modern days now where they're they're turning around superheroes and we're looking at be like, why is that person white? <laughs> like, is, wasn't that the big regret by Kevin Feige there about the... Um, the ancient one you're talking about? Yeah, the ancient one. Now... In theory, on paper, there's nothing about Blade's character that says he has to be black, but I can't imagine any reason why you wouldn't keep him black. Yeah, it it makes absolutely zero sense. And so now, because that movie is so well known, to imagine anyone else other than Wesley Snipes, just I can't imagine who else you put in that role that works like a single white guy that would work in that role. Um, so then he had the three movies that were very popular, Blade, Blade 2, Blade Trinity. So, um, tonight we're going to be talking, I didn't even know this existed until you and I started discussing what Halloween related cartoon we could talk about, but we're talking about the Blade anime series, which (laughs) up until about a couple of days ago when we decided on Blade, I didn't even know existed. Did you? No, I had no idea. You're like, Hey, go. What do you think about checking out this uh, anime? And I'm like, ah, uh, sure. And so I'm interested in in seeing in seeing what it's all about because I know that for the Batman anime that came out a few years back, I really enjoyed that one. I don't know if you saw that one, but it really took on this Japanese anime style film, and it was one of the more unique Batman films that I had seen in a while. So I'm really excited to watch this one. Uh, also, before we get into it, I also want to mention uh, when the Blade films were successful, uh, Marv Wolfman actually sued Marvel for copyright of the character. He says that uh, he never signed a work-for-hire contract back when he created Blade, so the character should be owned by him and Gene Colan. But the judge ruled that in Marvel's favor, saying that they significantly changed Blade enough so they had the claim to the copyright. There's a whole bunch of those big copyright lawsuits going on right now, too. The the Friday the 13th writer has just won where he, in other countries, now owns the distribution rights. But he doesn't own them in the U.S. right now. But they're saying that that's a lot of the stuff that's impacting maybe some upcoming uh, Marvel movies in the future is the outcome of that lawsuit and continued lawsuit. Yeah, I'm kind of torn on the subject. Obviously, these guys create characters that have made Disney or Marvel or what have you, like literally, in some cases, billions of dollars. I know they were contract, uh, you know, they were work for hire. 
But at the same time, I don't know, it feels kind of off that they would create something and then make so little money for it. Yeah. No, it's hard to root for the big studios in those cases. (laughs) So we're going back just a little bit over 10 years where uh, it was Marvel Entertainment, Madhouse, which is a Japanese animation studio, and Sony Pictures Entertainment Japan, where they decided they were going to do a series of Marvel anime. And they did not only Blade, they did X-Men, Iron Man, and Wolverine as well. Oh, wow. Animax is where it aired in Japan. We're going to be actually watching the English dubbed version of this cartoon, which originally aired on the Sci-Fi Network. There were 12 episodes of the Blade cartoon. Now, it originally aired in Japan July 1st, 2011. But since we are doing the English version, it originally aired on the Sci-Fi Network January 13th, 2012. His name is Blade, is the name of the episode. Which, for some bizarre reason, is also called The Man Blade. I can only assume maybe the Japanese translation isn't exact. That's that's what's happening. Uh, so we're going to go into it a little bit. Um, i got to ask you, on, on a whole, I am not a huge anime fan. What is your thoughts on anime? I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I haven't like seen anime stuff that I haven't enjoyed. And so, like, even though I don't go searching for it, when someone's like, hey, why don't you watch this? I don't, it doesn't, it's not like pulling teeth. I'm like, you know what? That's an interesting take on, you know, a story. And I feel like when you look at even, you know, movies like Kill Bill, Kill Bill might not be an anime, but it's shot in like this anime style, like a live action anime style. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do with it. So. I'm ex- like I said, I really enjoyed the Batman one. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this, you know, Blade one. All right. So it is, like I said, it is, his name is Blade. The story was by Warren Ellis, supposedly a prominent comic book writer. But the actual script was written by, and I excuse, you're going to have to bear with me on this. I apologize, especially to anyone of Asian descent. The writer's name is Kenta Fukasaku. Does that sound right to you? You're asking the wrong person. I can barely spell my name. <laughs> he, he also claimed to fame. He wrote both the films Battle Royal and Battle Royal 2, which many people claim The Hunger Games is actually a ripoff of. Uh, and he also directed the second one. It was directed by a, this one's even harder, Mitsuki Mashuhara. I hope is <laughs> I said that right. And he's directed many things, including, I've never heard of these, but Chai, Sweet Home, Ace of Diamonds 1 and 2 were also things he's directed. Uh, it was also produced by uh, Taro Horahima, Fuminori Hara, and Court Lane. Again, a thousand apologies if I butchered <laughs> any of those names. I did the best I could. You know, anime. Having known a few anime fans, if there are anime fans listening to it, you'll get the corrections. <laughs> Please, if you go to my social media, just be kind. I did the best I could. Uh, so we're gonna go over some of the players, give a little bit of credit where credit is due. Blade, like I said earlier, was created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. In the American version, which we're talking about, he's voiced by a Harold Perrineau, who everybody should know. He played Link in the Matrix uh, franchise. He also played uh, Michael Dawson on Lost. 
Oh, he was also a comic book news. He played Manny on the short-lived Constantine TV show. Uh, also appearing as one Deacon Frost, who was also created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, played by Stephen Dorff, and you'll remember in the first movie. He is voiced by Jean Benoit Blanc, who is a very famous uh, video game and uh, voiceover actor. He's voiced over several animes, including Gunsword and Blue Dragon. Um, he also, for video games, he voiced in Apex Legend and Far Cry 4, just to name a few. Uh, also, there's a Mikado, and she is, I believe, a creation exclusively of this cartoon. And uh, she is voiced by Kim May Getz. She's a voiceover actress, uh, most famously known. She voiced Mei Ling in Metal Gear. I don't know if any of this means anything to you. <laughs> uh, there's some other characters, but those are the three mains of this particular episode. I'm told in doing my research that Wolverine appears on this cartoon later on, but we're, only, we're doing episode one, so I stuck to the players of episode one. I am a little nervous because uh, when I was doing my research for this episode, the reviews didn't read a lot of kind reviews of it, but you never know where those people are coming from, if they're anime fans or if they don't like uh, the overdubbing or whatnot. What was um, the uh, big takeaways that we, maybe we could be looking for to see if we agree? Uh, a lot of them said they didn't like the voice acting. They thought it was poor, and uh, they said a lot of it seemed cliche. I think you got to cut people slack when they're doing voiceovers of animation that was specifically drawn for a different language. Yeah, I think you lose something in the language uh, when it's translated, for sure. But, on that note, turn on your nightlight. Wrap up in your blanket. Don't be scared. We're going to be right here with you. We'll be back when you come back. We're going to take a break and watch Blade, the animated series. His name is Blade. And when we come back, we're going to review it. Stay with us. This fall, Saturday mornings on the Sci-Fi Channel, it's Japanese animation in the raw. And this ain't no swim in the kiddie pool. Cutting-edge anime that's pure power and sheer genius. Be ready to receive this sacrifice. Saturday anime on the Sci-Fi Channel, coming this fall. Vampires. They're everywhere. You're one of them, aren't you? No. I'm something else. That's him! Blade is the key. All our strengths... None of our weaknesses. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. He makes the weapons. I use them. This open season on all suckers. Let's do this. Meanwhile, at the Podcast of Justice. Hope you weren't so scared you turned it off. We're back in our Halloween month, and we just watched the Blade animated series. His name is Blade. 
Mike Webb, you're not scared, I hope. Uh, you know what? I had the blankets pulled up to like just under the nose, but they didn't make it quite over the eyes. <laughs> Neither the nightlight. I remember when I was a kid, uh, for some dumb reason, instead of just leaving the room, I would like cover my eyes for the scary parts and tell people to tell me when it was over. You'd think I would just turn it off or leave the room. <laughs> I watched, so the first time I watched Scream, I watched it seven times with never seeing a single kill before I actually saw someone die in the movie. I think um, as a child, what stood out to me the most was, have you ever seen the movie The Howling? Yes. When that guy, the hippie guy, turns into a werewolf that first time, that terrified me for years. I was so scared of that scene. That was so scary to me when I was a kid. Yeah, I watched way too many way too soon, and I grew up in the woods, so I had like these weird fears, like don't look out the window at night because like Jason's gonna be standing in your your <laughs> your hundred yard driveway. Or uh, I went through a phase where I wouldn't turn off light switches because if you've ever seen the uh, Wes Craven Shocker, that's how the guy <laughs> possessed you. Like I went through some phases because I watched these things too young. The Blade cartoon it opens up with a. Uh... It's in a warehouse. Blade is, uh, he's kneeling. He's doing a bit of a voiceover. He says, well, you know, his name pretty, pretty much just gives you the, the, the viewer, his, his name and backstory that has a flashback of his mother being attacked by a vampire and being bitten her going to the emergency room. He said something that stood out to me. He says that the vampires call him blade. Yeah. So what is that like a, you know, he didn't name himself that. Like, it's a name given to him by the vampires. That's how I took it. Like, he introduces himself, given, gives his name, but says, the vampires call me Blade. I would say this is, I would have to go back to what was going on in the comic books at the time, but this seems heavily based on the films a little bit more than the comic books to me. What do you think? Yeah, that's what it felt like. It, it felt like I was re-watching some of the those flashback scenes in blade where the, where the first movie and they're giving you that origin story. You're seeing the stuff happen with his mother, but I thought it was interesting with this one, how they drew attention to the, uh, the four bite marks as opposed to two. Like when I was watching, I was like, you know, usually you're just used to the, you know, those Reese's commercial, those two bite marks <laughs> sinking in. Right. But there were the the four in the the neck there, and I thought that was such an interesting take on the the character. They're kind of separating him from other vampires. Uh, he also explains that he's the daywalker, that he has their strengths but not their weaknesses. The only difference is he's bald in this, and he has like tattoos on his head, which might have been going on at the comic book at the time that we're talking 2011. So I'm not really sure. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was trying to think if that was just me because I kept trying to think back to the movie and I'm like, no, it was it was hair just cut that way in the movie, yeah. right? And then they go to the opening credits, which I got to say were pretty kick-ass. They have this pretty awesome, like, I, I guess you'd call it Japanese rock and roll almost, but uh, definitely uh, was pretty awesome music. I do say that, maybe because I don't watch it very much, but the animation style, even though I think is good, it kind of does remind me of a lot of other anime things if i'm knocking it for anything it didn't visually stand out and i know a lot of the anime stuff usually does something that you know visually grabs you and it was pretty generic in the animation not bad animation just nothing that like wowed you or anything special i think when you have a medium like that 
you're like, oh, we can do some really cool things animation wise that we can't do in live action. And I didn't feel like they took any real risks there. So um, he notices it's a blood moon. And that's when his mother died. We flash back to London, England, uh, where his, uh, his mom was running, but she's cornered by a big vampire. She slashes the vampire's hand with a knife. He says that uh, she's feisty, hates feisty, knocks her out, bites her. And we flash back again to the operating room where you see the bloodstream where it's going right into the womb. And then he says that uh, his mentor said, uh, you got to guard your soul when looking at the darkness because sometimes it's looking back. You think he's referring to Chris Christopherson from uh, the movie as his mentor? That's exactly who I envisioned, right? Like, I, I think, once again, almost perfect casting in that movie that we remember that you can't help but envision that being his mentor. We flash over to the club that he was watching. There's a couple that's running out back, uh, going through some of those, you know, containment uh, storage chambers. Uh, it was just me or the... The guy seemed drunk, didn't he? Little, little drunk, you know. <laughs> Which kind of tips you off. I, I can't imagine any American cartoon that's not directed DVD having a character actually be under the influence. No, I, you're right. I can't think of that. He was, yeah, he was very drunk, like staggering drunk. She's laughing, and uh, when they're gonna kiss, but then she, he finds out she's a vampire. He takes off. He finds some cops asking for help, but they're vampires too. He sobered up pretty quick, by the way, once he <laughs> saw that she was a vampire. He went from staggering to running real quick. So the vampires are, uh, they're your typical, they look like human, they have yellow eyes predominantly and big fangs in this. They seem a little mm, savage, but not like completely over the top. Yeah, just like other people, which is drawn back to that, that first movie. It's almost step for step the exact same beginning of the uh, 90s film. You know, the, there wasn't a lot there. And then, you know, you've got the the jobber bad guys and you and it just it had that feel. I'd say the beginning of it had that feel like you knew this is where Blade comes in and you get that moment. It's like he's going to kick some ass. So then Blade uh, throws those, uh, I guess, throwing stars. I don't know what you call them. They kind of look like the weapon from Krull. Cuts right through the vampires. They, they explode and burn up almost immediately. He points out that uh, crosses and garlic are a myth. That's not the case. The female vampire jumps from behind. And he just one swoop with his sword, chops her, kills her. She blows up as well. Well, did you catch that line? And this is this is the one thing that's going to bother me for the rest of the episode here. Did you catch that part of the line where he says, "I found a good silver blade to the heart." Yep, is more effective. And now we're going to spend the rest of the episode uh, stabbing vampires willy nilly wherever they want and them still burning up. So does the heart not matter? Like, because I took like the, the silver blade to the heart is what makes them bur- burst into flames. And that doesn't play a role for the rest of the episode. Yeah, he, he said that to the heart, but it seems like the rest of the episode, he's willy nilly just chopping people up and they just blow up regardless if it gets the heart or not. The way that they start going down is they felt like the putties from the old uh, Power Rangers. (laughs) Now, there's always been a debate. Some people hate the silver for vampires. Some people don't have it. It's not in every uh, version. What What do you think? I'm trying to think. I think my favorite 
vampire rendition besides Salem's Lot is John Carpenter's Vampires. And I think Silver plays a role in that one too, right? Uh, it's been a while, but I, I, I think you might be right about that. So I'm I'm pro Silver, given that, you know, that's top three on my vampire type movies is the John Carpenter's one. What I like next is uh, after he's killed every vampire but one, the remaining vampire pulls out a gun. Right? <laughs> and now he's a Jedi. <laughs> you don't see that every day. And uh, but Blade immediately just slices the gun completely in two with his sword. Well, you wait, you miss the spot before he slices the gun in two effortlessly with the sword from 30 <laughs> feet away. He Jedi masters the bullet that's shot. Oh yeah, <laughs> with the sword. I forgot about yeah. He blocks the bullet with his sword. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Well, he is. He's the daywalker, I guess. He uh, <laughs> he tells that human to, to to kick rocks. He asks about the the nightclub that he's been stalking. He's asked about that sign above the door, and Vampire says that's their organization, which is called Existence. They're all over Asia. He points out for some bizarre reason. I I, I don't think Blade even really asked about his operation, which. Is weird because we know that Blade gets his start in London, but why does this guy feel like he has to talk about the expansion to Asia? Like Blade knows where he started. He doesn't even know what the symbol means yet. He's so scared. I guess he brought it up. So <laughs> then he he asked him if he knew about the vampire with four fangs, and he swears up and down that he's never heard of him. He scares the vampire, and uh, but he opens his eyes. Uh, Blade's gone, and I love this part as he says, yeah, you better run before the boss shows. <laughs> the classic tough guy after the fact. You need a good goon line like that, though. That's the stuff that works, like, right? Like, as much as stuff when you were just talking about, like, why is that happening? That was one of those lines that really, I'm like, that works for that scene. And then right when he says it, Blade off camera says, oh, your boss is, uh, is coming here, huh? He's all shocked good i want to meet him and then you uh, they kind of cut to commercial but it's clear from the aerial view that blade after getting that information uh, you know he uh <laughs> he put that vampire out of his misery yep so then we go to the club uh you see a big limo and a tall drink of water getting in there with a big white coat on they say welcome to club feed which i i want to imagine in Japanese, they had a better name than Club Feed, and it's just a bad translation because, come on, <laughs> that's the best they can do? I, You know what? It just, um, clubs are dumb. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, might, it, it might, you know, work just that simple. You know, people who, who attend clubs tend to not always be the brightest. Sorry for our club-going um, listeners. Yeah, the, I'm sure we have a very high percentage of, of, of clubbers. Uh, so we go to the back of the club, and there's a guy and a girl, and it's uh, it's Mikado, and she uh, the guy says that he's got she got ten minutes in there, and uh, then he's coming in after her. She goes inside. You see a bunch of people dancing. The vampires are staring at them with their eyes light up. I thought that. The animation there was a little poor in that scene. Seemed like a little cheap and rushed to me. But once again, like nothing special. It was it was like, hey, we've got this 
blade property so we can make a, a blade anime, but we're not going to do anything to really like grab your attention other than here's some glowing eyes. So this part was a little weird to me because the music stops, the light turns on in the club. Now at first I thought it's because everybody but Mikado I thought was a vampire, but we discovered lately that was not the case. Um, so I'm not sure why they stopped the entire club for this one particular girl. She wasn't that hot for God's sakes. No, it, right. Like this is the one that he steps into and he has to, he has to talk to Meanwhile, There's nothing discernible about her <laughs> that sets her to any different than the girls that are dancing by like the cages and stuff. She's no different. He says his name is Ladu and he runs this establishment. And, uh, she says this place is really jamming. It was it was exactly that. It was definitely jamming. <laughs> and he says, like, this was dead until you got here. You illuminate the place with your lovely beauty. And he gets on his hands and knees. He's going to kiss her hand. And I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> right up until she messes up his name on purpose. Oh, yeah, she calls him Ledu. And he does not care for that at all. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he goes, it's Ladu. <laughs> probably didn't sound as angry as i did it was pretty close because i was like wow okay um that really set him off like it's probably the first bit of real emotion we've seen in the episode so far and it was just a, a mispronunciation of a vowel and then this whole scene leads into the maybe the the line of the whole episode when they go upstairs okay you're reading my mind because this shocked the hell out of me when it happened i even watched it we went back to watch it because I really was convinced I misheard it. But he says, when they're in private, I'm so horny, I didn't ask your name. <laughs> now, that has to be a translation thing. Like, they couldn't find – it had to have been better in Japanese. And they just went, you know what? It basically means this. <laughs> I was stunned. I don't know about you, but he's like, I'm – Horny. I never expected him to say that he was so horny. And by the way, if you are at a club, please don't let that be your starting line. <laughs> um, when she says her name, he says it's a, a delicious name. And uh, they quickly go back to the club where the girls were dancing. So this is where I found out the club wasn't all vampires. They get these cage doors, trap the girls in there for a minute. And then we go back to them. This was a... Uh, Another great exchange where she says, what's that weird smell? And he says, oh, you mean my cologne? It's exotic and expensive. Shipped in from Romania. Because that's where everyone gets their cologne from. Like, if you want exotic cologne, you go to Romania. I don't know. If the girl says my cologne is weird smelling, I don't know if I'm going to start bragging about it. Well, he's, he's got to own that, right? He's like, well, no, it's just you're not used to my, uh, you know, my foreign charms. And she says there's another smell, and you ask what you mean, and she says, you stink like a wet dog. You could take a bath in that cheap perfume, and it wouldn't cover the smell. <laughs> and I don't want to get I don't want to get too far ahead, but I want to remember that line, underline that line for me, because it's gonna. It's going to come up a little bit later in the episode. I don't want to jump ahead, but that part a, blew my mind. I'll make a note to reference him smelling like a wet dog later. <laughs> right after she says that, uh, 
She gives him a spin kick, just like Chun-Li in Street Fighter, and knocks him right out the window. Yeah, which is the first time, I think, in the entire episode where we see something interesting anime-wise, right? Like that, that freeze into the kick in a different uh, in a different palette, like, and then uh, continuing with the animation. Up until then, there hadn't been one thing that they had done visually that made you, like, go, oh, that was kind of cool. So he's mad. He asks who the hell she is. She takes off her wig, and she's got, like, these spiked brass knuckles, and she says... It's time to kick some ass. She just starts destroying, like, everybody. This is the part where we were uh, talking about the beginning of the episode. I had two issues here. One, she just seems like she's a ripoff of, uh, was it Tifa from Final Fantasy VII? I don't know if you ever played that game. Same exact character. And then why are the vampires who are susceptible to silver dying from roundhouse kicks is she walker texas ranger like <laughs> i don't know but like she is she only has one on she doesn't have two so she's like roundhouse kicking she's poking people with her silver brass knuckles just really wrecking the place and then uh the guy that she's with he comes in guns blazing he's firing an uzi the smoke clears a little bit and there's ladu with uh some of the surviving vampires and he says <laughs> I take back everything I said, you ugly skank. Right? <laughs> Great line. As if his pickup line up in the the suite was better than insulting her in that way. And then, like, he, like, turns into this pretty badass, like, werewolf. Like, he gets taller, he's hairier, he looks like he kicks some ass, and he turns into a wolf. Okay. Turns into a wolf, which then catches them both off guard after she had already outed him as a wolf because he smelled like a wet dog. But they come to this, they come to this club of vampires to get rid of him and they don't bring the wolf's bane. Yeah, she says they're going to need a bullet um, wrapped in wolf's bane. Knew he was a dog, knew what they were getting into have all the silver in the world, and then they're caught off guard when they don't have the wolf's bane to put down the wolf they came to hunt in the first place? I, I Maybe she didn't. I don't know. I don't know. I, unless the wet dog reference is an amazing coincidence, I would think she knew, knew he was a werewolf ahead of time. Yeah, so, or she just calls vampires wet dogs. I, like, I don't feel like that's the same smell, right? I, I don't think so. So um, that one bothered me. Then, like, two vampires, like, explode out of nowhere, and you see that Blade comes in, stabs him. And then, man, you thought she was messing stuff up? Blade is wrecking the place, putting her to shame. He is, like, slicing through vampires like a hot knife through butter at this point. Once again, cuts off an arm, vampire explodes. You know, stabs him in the thigh, vampire explodes. And he is, like, jumping off the rafters. He's jumping all over the place. He is just killing. They don't even stand a chance against this guy. No, very, very unstoppable. He says that uh, he's got it from here. You can go. And she's like, hey, who the hell are you? We can handle our own battles. And the guy with the gun says, I'm with him. He drags her out of there. And then uh, the werewolf refers to him as the legendary Daywalker. So they know who Blade is. uh, This isn't a surprise. 
and you know, different than the the movie Underworld, like we were talking about earlier. It seems like there's some lichen vampire kind of alliance here, because it seems as though this werewolf works for Frost. Yeah, he says you're not worth my boss, Mister Frost's time. I'll take care of you myself, which is the first time Deacon Frost is actually referenced by name in the episode. Even though you, if you have any any inkling of anything, you kind of figure out that that's gonna be Deacon Frost. And you know what I liked about this Deacon Frost? Once they put the name to him and then you see him in the episode, this was the best casting that I had seen for Deacon Frost. And I know the Deacon Frost from the 90s movie kind of fit that 90s villain. Yeah. But as a foil to someone like Wesley Snipes, who was in incredible shape then, I just never bought that one. So having this Deacon Frost, you know, looks like he's about 6'5". I just thought that's an imposing, um, what do they call those? The head vampires, the yeah. like head vampire, I guess, master. Uh, um, now he, he doesn't look like Steven Dorff in the Blade movie. He doesn't really look like Deacon Frost in the comic book. Deacon Frost looked more like an older guy with a with gray hair and a beard. He kind of looks like the dude from Castlevania, if you remember uh, that at all. Yep. When the werewolf says he's going to take care of Blade himself, he says, uh. That's your call. And he pulls out his big ass sword. And then he does this like weird slow motion thing with his sword. Like, I don't even know if this is some kind of another Jedi mind trick or what, what was going on here. He then names it afterwards. And I couldn't, rem- I forgot what he called it, but he called it some kind of technique. And it's the only time they referenced something like that in the entire episode. So what I'm curious is if you, if we were to watch further episodes, does he introduce us to new techniques as it goes on? That's a good point, I would assume, because he did say, I think I have something technique number one, I think he said. Yeah. So the werewolf, like, it looks like he knocks his head off, but then Blade just vanishes. And then <laughs> he, like, slices him in half from behind, and, like, Japanese lettering pops up on the screen in big red letters. Like, it was a very odd sequence i really want to know what it said and that that's it that vampire is just destroyed he like pretty much cut him in half so then we go back to makudu and uh the dude they're outside killing vampires and then she says oh uh that they've killed the last of them and the guy says not to count your chickens and then i'm not sure if this is what it was but it, it appeared to be a very long slow clap happened at that point is that what? That's what I. That's what I was wondering, right? And it, it didn't like build, and the clap didn't get faster, and they didn't like, the character didn't appear as they were clapping. It just kind of happened, and then Frost is there. Yeah. Like at first, I wasn't sure what the noise was, but I'm like, oh yeah, wait, that sounds like a slow clap. But yeah, he's not on camera. He just sort of appears at the end of the uh, slow clap. And uh, they said, oh, he's, he must be the head of existence. And he does a little smirk, and you can see that he's got two fangs on one side of his mouth. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we're, going, we're filling into that. This is another... <laughs> the, the guy says to her that if you're going to hunt vampires, eventually you got to lay it all on the line. And then he charges Frost, screaming his head off, firing the gun. 
which I'll never understand about using a gun, right? It's got bullets. You don't need to get closer. And, like, every shot misses Deacon Frost, and he just punches him once, boom, and then takes a big chunk out of his neck. This makes Blade flashback again, which I'm not sure. Does he recognize him? I couldn't figure out if he saw the... The four fangs? The multiple fangs, yeah, because he doesn't he say right after that it was you? Or no, no, he doesn't do that until after. Yeah, because, yeah, Frost says he's going to leave, and he's like, not so fast, and he's like... I've been waiting for you a long time, Daywalker. I've got something to show you, a souvenir from your mother. And he shows his palm where he was slashed by the knife by her years and years ago. Yeah, so I couldn't figure out if that pause before that happens when he's got the father is that is he afraid to do anything that's going to get the father killed because the father's human at that time. And so he's not taking the shot at Frost or... You know, and then once he bites them, all bets are off. Uh, but once Blade uh, sees that scar, he like loses it and he attacks Deacon Frost, who he can't even land a punch on this guy. He is like effortlessly dodging all of Blade's clumsy attacks. It wasn't even close. Like, oh, this is definitely a mismatch, which was a pretty good build in one of the scenes that I actually really enjoyed, which was where they started to use some of that what I felt was more anime style movements for the character in terms of moving laterally left and right. But that whole character movement, as opposed to like, that's sort of typical, like running animation. I just really enjoyed that piece. Well, like at this point, they'd kind of backed themselves in the corner. Blade had been kicking so much ass at this point. You want a, a formidable villain. You gotta like pull out all the stops. And when you saw what this guy did to blade, you were like, Oh, shit, this guy is, is like, going to be tough to beat. It was a great build. And, well, then that plays into the whole thing with vampires. This guy's been alive forever. So Blade's, what, 30 at best? Well, you had said about the movie, you didn't think Steven Dorff seemed like a formidable foe for Blade. So I'm assuming this version, you're, you're buying it. Yeah, no, this that was one, of, like I said, we, we I know we're picking it apart a lot. But I thought this was a, a really good Frost. I bought this Frost more than any other version. And then he gives Blade like a single super kick where Blade goes flying and smashes into the side of the wall and pretty much devastates him. And uh, he gets up where he's going to fight, but then he gets stabbed in the back by two syringes. And you see two other vampires stab him and they take some of his blood. And they say, we're going to see what makes you tick, Daywalker. So now we're uh, really, we're going to get into this more when we do the final show wrap-up, but we're really getting into a lot of uh, build-up, I could see, for the 12-episode for the series. Yeah, they, they laid a lot of groundwork there, and I thought, besides laying that piece of groundwork, which I think is a familiar story, because it doesn't seem like it's going to get too far off of the movie that we're used to seeing, because that's pretty much the plot of the movie from the 90s, if you think about the chamber that they end in. But I thought the interesting piece was how they introduce what seems to be like a new ongoing character that's going to kind of play some role throughout the rest of the series. So they go back and she's uh, crying over her dad. And then you see he's still alive, but he's not alive. He throws her off and he's transformed into a vampire. Uh, he's got her pinned against the wall and she's crying saying, Daddy. And then out of nowhere... From behind, Blade slashes him with that silver sword. 
and he bursts into flames and dies. It seems like that becomes dangerous if they're holding another living person, right? If you burst into flames, do you just walk away unscathed or do you not? Is there no like burns if you attach to a burning vampire? I'm not sure how it works. If it's like natural flame or it's like flame where it doesn't affect humans, they don't really ever go into it. So she loses her mind and stabs Blaine with the brass knuckles. But I don't know if I just said Blaine, but she stabs Blade with the brass knuckles. Doesn't even affect him. She drops to her knees, really upset. Blade walks away. She says that, uh, I'm going to make you pay. That I swear. Now, we just watched every time those silver knuckles hit a vampire, they explode. And she punches Blade square in the palm and no explosion. So I was really thrown. I need some consistency with my exploding vampires. Well, Blade, remember, he's got all their strengths and none of their weaknesses. That's fair. I'm just, everyone's exploding. Everybody. I do wonder, though, wouldn't he still be at least hurt by something stabbing him like any other person? Or is he just become that badass? He's like, nothing hurts me unless it's a super kick from um, super vampires. <laughs> And right after she says he's going to pay, we go to the end credits. I thought it was over at that, but they actually had a next week on Blade. <laughs> where they give you a little preview of the next episode. Where I think they even gave you the title of the episode. What was the title again? I'm- it was Mad World, A Night for the Living, A Morning for the Dead. <laughs> Quite that is the a title. title. <laughs> certainly is. And there you have it. Blade, episode one. His name is Blade. So uh, we get to our ranking system in a minute. <laughs> now we're going to go right to it. We're going to go to the spectrometer right now. Anyone new to the show? The spectrometer is where we rank what we just saw. Zero spectros being absolute garbage. Four being you don't get any better. Mike Webb. What are you going to give Blade? His name is Blade. I would give it a two. Two? A two, right in the middle, because it wasn't, like, offensive and it wasn't bad, but there was not a single thing, like, really good about it or engaging or new that makes me say, you know what, I want to, I'm craving to watch the next episode. Like, I got through, I watched it, it was enjoyable, it was fine. But it being an anime didn't set it apart. It just didn't do anything that grabbed me. All right, all right. I'm going to – I think I'm going to go two and three-quarter Spectros in this one. Um, Even though plot-wise and style-wise a little generic, I thought there was a lot of good setup for a story. And I enjoyed – even though it's very ridiculous and over the top, I did enjoy most of the action – it did intrigue me enough to want to watch more and see where more of the story goes. Like, especially how how devastating Deacon Frost was when Blade came up across with him at the end of the episode. No, that's a good argument. Like I said, if I was hanging out and someone was like, hey, do you want to watch this? I'd watch it. I just, I think anime. You wouldn't binge it. I wouldn't binge it. No, I think I think you had an opportunity to do something special and you just did an animated version of 
the movies that we're all used to and the stories that we're all used to. I needed more. I needed more risk. Yeah, I would say that of the anime I I've seen, it didn't do a lot that set itself apart from the rest of it. So every week we also ask in 2021 if a child came across Blade episode one, his name is Blade, would they enjoy it? No. No, I don't think so. I and that's because I work I work with uh I work with kids and I work with a lot of kids who watch anime now and anime and manga it is big. It's it's as mainstream as I think it's been in I've never seen it this mainstream in my entire life and they talk about it. There's some really interesting ones in there and they're going back and watching things that have been on for like 30 years. So they're invested in characters and they're going back and watching things that their parents might have watched. And this just doesn't do it. Doesn't touch that. I think the quality isn't up to par. Um, I think uh, some kids, depending on their age, would be kind of scared of this between the werewolf and people getting blown up. And and I also, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want my kids watching a show that a guy says he's horny or calls someone an ugly skank. <laughs> yeah, probably not the best. Definitely want, you know, a, worth a pre-watch before letting your kids go. Like, <laughs> You don't want them being like, that's my new pickup line. It was perfectly okay in the show. Why not, Dad? <laughs> what did you think out there? Did you like Blade? His name is Blade more than me and Mike Webb. Did you like it less? Feel free to give us your two cents. Remember, if you liked it more than we did, great. Nobody can take that away from you. If you can go to my social media and you can give me your two cents, I always love to hear from you. Uh, follow me at Twitter at Matt Spectro, or you can go to my Facebook page, Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Always want to hear your two cents on blade my name is blade <laughs> i don't even know if the, the people i'm friends with that are comics I don't, I don't even know if someone who i would say hey it's not really for me but this is something you definitely have to check out no it, it's not something that i would say you definitely have to check out i'd i'd say you probably wouldn't be offended by watching it and it's okay but uh thank you for joining us again this week i want to thank mike webb for joining us as well if you could uh Smash the subscribe button, like my podcast, give me a five-star review, and I appreciate it as well. And if you have any suggestions for other episodes, definitely uh, leave a comment. And I uh, hope you weren't too scared by this week's Halloween episode. What about you, Mikey Webb? Did you watch it with your Would you? Did you watch <laughs> Oh, I thought you said goodbye. I was like, oh, I guess I'm saying see you later. Hit the bricks, Mikey Webb. <laughs> Did you watch it with the missus? Was she terrified? Uh, she watched some of it. She was disinterested, and she really likes a lot of stupid stuff I watch. So this was a big miss in the web household all over. I want to thank you again. And don't forget, for the whole month of October, we are doing Halloween episodes. Boo. Don't miss it. Mikey Webb, what's your big plans for Halloween this year? This well, we just bought a house, so it's the first time we're gonna be able to like really give out candy. So we're pretty excited. We got our costumes, you know, family costumes for the dogs and us. We'll stand there and we'll be giving out candy this year. Yeah, my daughter is. Uh, this is gonna be the first year she's actually gonna wear a costume. We haven't decided yet, but I'm pretty excited about that. Kids are always good to dress up as like little horrific dolls, like Chucky dolls and things like that. <laughs> And that's going to do it for this bone-chilling episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Please uh, join us again 
next week for another scary Halloween episode. Until then, sharpen those stakes, get out your garlic, get your uh, silver sword and your wolf's bane bullets, <laughs> and have a happy Halloween. Mike Webb, thank you for joining us. Join us again next week, everybody. Excelsior! <laughs>